0: The second they found out about Coutts has just been mentioned, there were neo-Nazis traveling to Coutts Alberta, to murder police officers, to kill them. They had weapons to do so. At that point, it was appropriate, whether from the perspective of public opinion or the law, to apply every measure available to deal with what was truly a national emergency.
1: There's less than two weeks left in testimony for the Public Order Emergency Commission, which is hearing testimony from all sides into the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act. On February 14th, the federal government made the declaration to end the occupation in downtown Ottawa, along with blockades in Alberta and in Windsor. Our unpublished vote question asked you, was the Emergencies Act required to bring an end to the occupation? Yes, no, or unsure. And you basically have said 14% said yes, just over 80% said no, and under 6% were unsure. However you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote, then email your MP to tell them why. Joining us to discuss the latest on the inquiry, I'm pleased to be joined by Lori Turnbull, Director at the School of Public Administration of Dalhousie University, Retired Senator Vern White, Warren Kinsella, Political Commentator, Marvin Ryder, Associate Professor, McMaster University's DeGroote School of Business, and Carl Narenberg, Parliament Hill Correspondent with Rabble.ca. And Lori, from what you've heard so far in the inquiry, was there another solution to ending the occupation of Ottawa without the Emergencies Act?
2: I mean, I think we've heard different types of testimony, depending on if someone is approaching this as a law enforcement person or a politician, and what jurisdiction, what level of government, and so your vantage point is going to be different. I think if there was going to be a different response, it would have had to come from either a local government or a provincial government. And so if there was something that was going to happen to make the Emergencies Act not necessary, it would have been from some other order of government. And there was back and forth on the ground in Ottawa about whether the jurisdictions with even respect to the Ottawa police force specifically was really filling their own space. And so citizens were complaining that it seemed like there were laws in place. There were things that could have been enforced and they weren't. And we've heard some testimony to the effect that, you know, the police were having a hard time, for example, getting trucks towed because the local towing companies didn't want to play ball with them for fear that there would be a backlash from the, the convoy. And so all of that sort of thing seems to create a sense of a of lack of certainty about whether local enforcement could really do the full, you know, fill the full extent of their jurisdiction.
1: Uh, Vern, from testimony, we've heard uh, about distrust between the police forces, Ottawa, OPP and RCMP. And I would have thought they would have approached uh, this whole situation as a team. Why didn't they?
3: Well, I think what you're hearing from from people particularly now, and I said on the the uh, by by uh, Cameral committee that was looking at the same thing prior to the commission starting, so we heard the witnesses a couple of times. I think what you're hearing is that the Ottawa Police Service were not sharing intelligence from a operational perspective and the planning perspective, and they weren't necessarily getting all. They would argue getting all the intelligence they needed federally and provincially. So I don't think there was a lot of sharing going on between them, and and I think that's one of the downfalls. Not that it matters much with the commission because i think the commission's going to look at overall uh could the police have handled this without the act and i think what you're hearing from the police is that they could have handled it without the act
1: do you think they could have handled it without the act
3: um i probably didn't think they could have at the time they invoked because i saw the uh crap show downtown Ottawa when I was trying to walk to my meetings and I heard and, and saw that it was over. It was overwhelming, uh, particularly away from Parliament Hill when you went two streets south of Parliament Hill. I probably felt that they couldn't have handled it. But having listened to the uh, police chiefs, the commissioners uh, and the other uh, leaders that came in from a policing perspective, they said they had a plan and that they would have implemented that plan. Um, I have to believe that they would have uh, otherwise, it's, uh, Otherwise, I think uh, there's a bigger issue at play here, and that's the fact that the police couldn't do their job. So I, I think they could have. I'm not sure that anybody believed they could have at the time after watching what happened for a few weeks. So,
1: Yeah. Warren, uh, you feel that the Emergencies Act was needed in, in Ottawa, but you also think Doug Ford and Sylvia Jones don't need to testify. And, and you, in your column, you felt you didn't need to because other premiers haven't been asked. Perhaps all the premiers that had to deal with blockades and such should have been asked. What do you think?
0: Sure. Yeah. You know, cause there were problems happening in British Columbia and Alberta, Manitoba and Ontario. So there was, if there's a case for Ford and he was excluded on the basis of parliamentary privilege, there was a case for them as well. So I thought it was selective in terms of the application of the act. I felt then, and I feel now that it was the right and proper and measured response to take the Occupation of the City of Ottawa had been going on for three weeks without the application of the Act. They brought in the Emergencies Act. All of that crap was cleared up three days later. So it worked. And anybody who now says that it doesn't, I believe, is wrong. I don't know what Justice rulo is going to conclude. His mandate, if you look at it, is actually quite specific. It's not to go on a fishing expedition. It's whether the the action was properly applied and uh, what should be done to change the act going forward because it's the first time that it has been used in this way. But it's right and proper that there's a review. I think it will survive any kind of charter challenge that's brought against it. And I still feel the same way. It was the right thing to do.
1: Marvin, the whole occupation was targeted toward COVID restrictions, but most of those restrictions (laughs) were provincial. Was this more politically motivated against Trudeau and the liberals, or or was there something else at play here?
4: Right. So uh, can I just say, as one of the two academics on your panels, this has been a fascinating period of time for us. And ultimately, I think there will be academics who will pour through all of this testimony and look at it in many different ways. And one of the groups that were interviewed uh, by the commission have been some of the organizers of the Freedom Convoy. And I found some of their testimony quite interesting. First, uh, were the organizers themselves coordinated? We mentioned earlier in this broadcast that uh, uh, different levels of security were not coordinating. It's not quite clear to me that the organizers were all that coordinated as well, that there were people there at cross purposes. Some people, I think, felt they had a legitimate concern around these uh, restrictions, especially on truck drivers having to cross the borders with Canada and the United States, and they felt it was unfair. But there were certainly others who joined in who had a whole different mission. And that was, of course, to to topple the government. They wanted to meet with the governor general to have Mr. Trudeau fired, maybe even have the whole house suspended and create some other framework as it goes. It's a very interesting um, group of people. So I think it's one of these old stories of the enemy of my enemy becomes my friend. We all had one thing we didn't like. So we all got together to protest. But what the outcomes were supposed to be were all over the map. And they were just as disorganized, I think, as, as sometimes we saw the police forces involved.
1: Uh, Laurie, it's obvious that policing was, was bad at best. It seemed many of the officers supported the convoy. Now, everyone is entitled to their own political beliefs. But at the, at what point does society say, you have to do your job? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think we heard that a lot in Ottawa while that was going on. And I think people were were trying to kind of get sort through that. But as I was listening to to Marvin in response to your question, it really did end up being about a whole bunch of things. Like it wasn't, it was, yes, there was a focus on, on rules that were essentially provincial. So there was something misguided about focusing on the Trudeau government in order to remove rules that weren't his to begin with. But there was also this... You know, ant, really palpable anti Trudeau, anti I know any sort of of restriction on freedom. There was a whole bunch of things being wrapped up in the momentum of the convoy, and then when we started to see uh, opinion poll data around who was not participating in the convoy, but who were who was supportive, whether with money or with their sentiment, there was a big gap between you know people who could work from home during the lockdown and people who couldn't and people who were feeling as though their their financial situations and and that of their family were much worse than they were not as hopeful as other people for example and so i think it, it there was a kind of mapping on of what was happening with the convoy it just cascaded into being about a bunch of stuff and some of it was about the overall government response and the fact that there was not you know for some people not not enough attention to some of the people that really needed help and i think we're still seeing some of that and so it was because of that i think people were it it became a very difficult thing to diagnose and so then that to me that factors into to it at like whether or not the Emergencies Act was, was ended up being the right thing, because it just seemed like it kept building, like it just got out of control.
1: Uh, Warren, Ottawa and and political Ottawa are two different entities. The city of Ottawa is home to 1.3 million people. Parliament Hill, well, that's where the protests and demonstrations are already be conducted. And you've spent a fair amount of time in, in Ottawa. Is it time for the city to hand Wellington Street in front of Parliament Hill back to the federal government? And And if so, do you think it would have prevented what we saw in February?
0: I question whether it's time for us to create Ottawa, the national capital, as a separate entity, as the Americans done, have done with the District of Columbia. Like back, back in the beginning of time when I was an articling student and dinosaurs walked the earth, one day I was sent to the Ottawa courthouse to do a title search around the Shadow Laurier. And that's where you really find out what a mess it is up there. You know, you go 20 feet out and it's the federal government that owns it. You go 10 feet out, it's the National Capital Commission. You go 30 feet out, it's the provincial government, then it's the municipal government. Like it's symptomatic of the problem we've got it as a country is is the division of powers, but it's like it is a mess up there. And I think part of the reason, obviously bad policing, Bad intelligence, like I don't know why the hell they couldn't turn on their TV and see all these trucks coming and all the trucks saying, we're coming to Ottawa, we're going to stay. I mean, that was the intelligence briefing everybody needed. But it is a mess jurisdictionally in that part of the city of Ottawa. And I think it's it's appropriate for us to consider taking away from these other levels of government any kind of jurisdiction or authority over it and creating a capital Police, as they have in the United States, and creating a separate jurisdiction to protect uh that place which is you know the seat of our democracy.
1: Yeah, you know, Vern, I I think back to your time as uh, the police chief here in Ottawa and, and the Tamil protests and and that was really straining the, the city's resources when it came to, to obviously the police resources and and funding and such. And, and you were looking at the federal government to try and help out. But They weren't doing it. What do you think? Is it time to uh, put Wellington uh, in in the the hands of the federal government or, as uh, Warren says, maybe a, a national capital district?
3: I've been arguing since 2015 that we should actually take Wellington away, turn it into a walking street. But, but to, to Warren's uh, point, and actually a better, a better example, if I may, Warren, is probably Australia, the Australian Capital Territory, because the, the issue Washington faces is they have Washington DC police and they have Capitol police, and they run into the same headbutting that we saw uh, during this. But, but I fully agree. That 2,800 square kilometers, now we're talking bigger than Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton combined geographically, Probably should be one territory, one police service and one government that oversees all of those areas because you're not wrong, Warren. We, nobody knows who owns what. There's one park in town that's owned by the National Capital Commission where they, where the Occupy Ottawa group were at. And we were dealing with City Hall because they used that during, uh, during an event in the winter and National Capital Commission wouldn't give us permission to remove everybody. And it goes on and on. It's every year. There's 300 demonstrations a year in Ottawa. The vast majority of them run run very smoothly. Uh, The Tamils were one that ran smoothly, although lots of people, to be blunt, were pissed off at me because we didn't remove 10,000 Tamils. vast majority who were under 14 or over 65. Um, But instead, we blockaded them in actually one very small area, and we allowed them to to, uh, protest on our terms, not on their terms.
1: Carl, in your view, was this a, a failure by the city of Ottawa, the Ontario government or, or the federal government or or all
5: three? I think the big failure of all three governments, it's, you know, it's difficult to assign blame for failure. Uh, I think the least blame would go to the federal government in that they didn't really have much jurisdiction, much jurisdiction here. Uh, but I think the greatest blame is to the provincial government, the Ontario government, not that Ottawa covered itself in glory. But Jim Watson was on the CBC radio this morning, and he just pointed out that in trying to deal with Doug Ford and uh, Sylvia Jones during this um, uh, period, this very stressed period, uh, they were essentially gaslighting him. I mean, they were sort of saying, we refuse to come to meetings. Doug Ford wouldn't come to meetings with the three-order government. They claimed that they had sent 1,500 police officers here to help when there were only uh, 50 Sylvia Jones, when they were talking about her aiding the situation, suddenly raised the red herring of, well, we have to check with Indigenous people. That's the only time in the entire history of the Ford government anybody's expressed the slightest concern for Indigenous people. She was just pulling red herrings out of nowhere. They were I mean, we know that Doug Ford's daughter sympathized with the convoy protesters, that Sylvia Jones, chief head of her communications, contributed money to the convoy people. So we know that in their own mind, they felt these people were somehow within their political team when they were their political potential political supporters. And they were terrified of, of, of seeming in any way to be doing too, too strong in opposing the uh, convoy protesters. And they really did, did not cover themselves. in. Glo- I mean, it's one thing to be a little bit incompetent or confused or have conflicts. It's another thing to lie. It's another thing for the premier of Ontario to lie to the mayor of Ottawa and to refuse to meet with the federal government and the municipal government that 's completely unacceptable and I understand warren 's argument that it 's unfair to ask only one premier to come when this affected theoretically the whole country, but it would be nice to hear a little bit of account accountability from Doug Ford here. by the way, I just want to mention something quickly in terms of protesting on t- provincial regulations to give the, to give the convoy protesters their due and there 's not much is due to them their big the inciting incident here. Was the federal Canadian and American restrictions on truck drivers traveling from Canada to the United States and back because you had to have a vaccine certificate to do that? So, the, a certain, a very small proportion of truckers whose business is to travel across the border refused to get vaccinated. It's actually very few in number. Most of them were happy to get vaccinated, but those people that affected their livelihood that meant that they couldn't do those. Do the, Those particular jobs, which is a big part of the trucking industry in Canada going across the border to bring things back and vice versa. So that that was the notional federal part. That is a federal responsibility it was the federal government in negotiation with their American counterparts that decided we're going to impose a vaccine requirement on this particular industry. So I mean, I'm not giving them. And by the way, I totally agree with, with Warren that the, the, the Emergencies Act was perfectly justified. When you have explosive, huge, uh, you know, diesel loaded vehicles, hundreds of them block right there within the gunshot site of the parliament buildings and blocking a whole city. You know, if the people were all sitting there with guns and 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 uh, other kinds of firearms and bazooka launchers, we'd say get rid of them immediately. Well, you know, a diesel huge diesel truck can easily be used as a weapon, and we've seen it happen. As a matter of fact, with a much smaller vehicle in Toronto, killing a lot of people, you, it was it's ridiculous that they let them sit there that long, and they should have invoked the Emergencies Act after a long weekend. Now they shouldn't have waited uh, weeks to do it, but it was totally justified, and they're not required. To show that there could have been other things that could have happened hypothetically, what, the, what Judge Rolo has to decide is whether this was legally justified, whether we had a real public order emergency that required, that, that allowed the federal government to use these powers. The fact that the police perhaps hypothetically could have done something different but didn't is not really within his purview to, to decide. Warren, oh, were you jumping in there?
0: Yeah, just two things very quick. The Ford government can defend themselves. But in the case of the young woman that Carl talked about and made the donation, they fired her immediately. And she's suing them for wrongful dismissal. And, and you know, the historical record shows the first guy to actually apply Emergencies Act type, type powers was Doug Ford. Ford it declared a state of emergency on the Friday before Trudeau did it on the Monday. So, you know, and he said repeatedly he stood shoulder to shoulder with Trudeau, I think he actually did. And I don't think they approved in any way uh, what was taking place as to whether they deserve blame for the screw ups of the OPP of which there were many, or, you know, the lack of intelligence that was going back and forth. They can they can take their hits on that. But I don't think it's necessarily fair to say that they were sympathetic to these convoy idiots. Uh, they weren't. They were the first ones to act. In fact, as a government,
1: uh, Marvin. Uh, one of the phrases I heard from the the mayor of Coots uh, this past week was uh, regarding the the, the blockades and, and calling them domestic terrorists. Uh, would you characterize that that phrase as what we were dealing with in Ottawa, in in Coots, uh, in BC?
4: Well, I mean, can I come at your question ever so slightly differently? Uh, I was just going to talk about the court of public opinion, and then I'll tie it to your question. Uh, Surveys that have been done over these last few weeks while this hearing has been going on has shown virtually no movement within the public at large. In other words, those people who thought applying the Emergencies Act was the right idea still think it's the right idea, and those people who thought it wasn't the right idea still think it's not the right idea. Those people who wanted to see the act applied would definitely agree with you that what we were witnessing was domestic terrorism. Um, Whether we're talking Coots or Windsor at blocking the bridge, or in the case of the downtown convoy, interrupting people's lives, blowing the horns at any time of the night, and so on and so forth, they would agree. Now, there's that group of people who don't believe the Emergencies Act was justified. They just see it as just a peaceful protest. Look, they were blowing off some steam. Why did we make such a big deal? They would definitely disagree with that. And I don't think those camps are merging at all. In other words, there is not a consensus. And I think a very interesting challenge for the justice as he comes out with his his decision as to whether this emergencies act was correct. Is he going to wander into this? Is he going to try to characterize the event? Um, And he may very well stay away from that because those are very emotionally loaded words.
1: Vern, uh we've talked an a lot about about the police and and their uh their actions or lack thereof during the during what happened in Ottawa and and elsewhere. Uh do you see this as a black eye on police enforcement across the country?
3: Yeah, absolutely I do. Yeah, I think uh, and I'll speak particularly to Ottawa because I, I lived it every day and watched it. I think the uh the fact that they did not work together to even start to lodge a campaign to remove those vehicles and the fact that a police chief four days in said I do not believe there's that there's a police action that can solve this problem would tell me that they failed as police uh, officials the other piece too and I, I think as I said I, I supported the invo- invocation in fact I spoke in the senate in support of it uh, the question I always ask myself is could the police have done something else and they're arguing that they could have whether or not uh, the, the justice will uh, agree with that as a different story. But the piece I think maybe we should also ask is if this was a national security threat, and I believe it was, I think it certainly was in Coots, Alberta. If this is a national security threat, why didn't the RCMP take over? Because that, from my perspective, would have been the logical step before the invocation. In fact, if you go back and listen, I don't think the commissioner of the RCMP even spoke after the invocation. Now, she's the head of the National Police Service. This is a national security threat. Where is the commissioner of the RCMP and why weren't they taking over jurisdiction, particularly in in the case of Ottawa? Because my perspective, that's what would have happened well before the invocation. And I'm back to when it was invoked, I supported it.
1: Well, if, if, if the police weren't going to do the job, was this something that the military needed to step in and do?
3: Well, you know, there's aid to civil power. I've used aid to civil power a couple of times. To be fair, typically when I need equipment, I needed a Chinook helicopter to go to a shooting scene in the middle of the forest in the Yukon one time, as an example. Aid to civil power in this case would have meant that the police had at least some level of control of the situation and they needed equipment. So I would have argued they could have brought in some of their heavy lift equipment to remove trucks and move vehicles. But to be fair, at the time, I was arguing they shouldn't remove vehicles. I would have removed people. I would have maybe started cutting a couple of vehicles in half with acetylene torches, and they would have wanted to drive them out if they could. But my perspective was I would have secured those vehicles down there, and I would have pushed all the people back instead. Deal with the vehicles left uh, later, because I think they were too focused on how do we get these trucks out of here. Nobody said those trucks weren't protesting. I would have just started securing vehicles Barricade those in. Start removing all those people out of there. If I had a three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars truck sitting there, I would beg you to let me drive it away.
1: Yeah, good point. Good point, uh, Lori. Do you do you think the federal government should have acted sooner with the Emergencies Act, or did they want to sort of let everything play out and see it as a, a last, you know, ditch effort?
2: I think they definitely wanted to create the the sense that they had shown patience with it, and I think we're getting to a kind of a reality around the fact that the way we respond to emergencies is going to be imperfect like it seems like because it's human and that's what happens like I think typically when there is an emergency response and it requires it's big enough to require this the involvement of different orders of government you start with a principle of local capacity and when it when whatever's going on overwhelms a jurisdiction then you go to the next jurisdiction when you need it and that's whether the emergency is a natural disaster or a political situation like this or whatever the case may be and so i think it seems to me when we had this case where maybe there were things that could have been done at the local level that weren't being done you didn't have that principle of capacity working the way it should have because there could be. It seemed anyway at the time that there was cho- there were possibly choices being made around not t- filling the full jurisdiction at the local level, and so it's harder than to move that capacity piece and to be able to use that as a principle to adequately respond to an emergency. I'm sure a lot of people in Ottawa and I live here, so yes, I, I was one of those people who would have been happy to see this thing used far earlier. It always seemed to me that Trudeau wasn't happy about it. It seemed like watching the press conferences, he was kind of, his body language was uncomfortable. He was letting the other ministers do the talking. He, it They, I mean, Vern can speak much better to, the, to this than I can, but they pulled it back before it even went to a vote in the Senate. And so I think they were trying to show restraint and show that this is not what we want to do, but we're going to do it. But at the same time, that was a little comfort, I think, to the people who were living in Ottawa, who frankly would have taken... <laughs> They didn't care about that a lot of people just wanted to see this dealt with yeah exactly can i just jump in for a second sure. and say that another interesting
4: thing about the testimony we've heard and i think we're going to hear between now and the end of this is that there were also people intelligent people giving counsel to the government to say the minute you invoke the emergencies act you might get a response from the truckers that you don't like in other words This, on one hand, would give police additional powers, give people different powers to deal with it, but it might also be the the fuse that ignites a powder keg, and we might see these protesters. And I think Coots is a great example of this. The minute we found out that they were sitting on a a cache of weapons of varying kind, that these people were, were not planning to take no for an answer, including using force, be careful. You know, if you invoke the Emergencies Act, is this going to see almost a military response from the protesters, so I think this is why. Again, they wanted to show maximum patience, maybe even give more time to get more intelligence on the ground as to what they were fighting.
1: What do you think, Warren? Did, was three weeks the time to do it, or should it have maybe have done the first weekend?
0: The second they found out about Kootz has just been mentioned. There were neo Nazis traveling to Kootz, Alberta, to murder police officers, to kill them. They had weapons to do so. At that point, it was appropriate, whether from the perspective of public opinion or the law, to apply every measure available to deal with what was truly a national emergency. And so I'm hopeful that Justice Rouleau concludes that it was a proper application of that that legislation and that it perhaps should have been done sooner than it was. Because three weeks for that city, you know what was taking place at border crossings in Windsor, in British Columbia, you know a murder plot in Alberta, like it, 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 it is madness for us to suggest, as Pierre Polyev has, because we haven't talked about the politics of this thing yet, it, it, to suggest that it was okay and that Pierre Trude- uh, Justice Trudeau Justin Trudeau should have sat down and had a chit chat with these people who had this crazy document about overthrowing the government. It was madness. And for sure, there was serial failure, multiple institutions, and police agencies failed. But at the end of the day, we had to bring this to an end. It was creating chaos in Ottawa
1: and elsewhere. And I think that the act was the appropriate way to respond. Oh, yeah, you bring up the politics of it. And and yeah, on one side, you've got the, the Prime Minister. Uh, obviously dealing with the situation. On the other side, you've got the opposition out bringing coffee and donuts. Should may, perhaps uh, Candace Bergen or Pierre Polyev be at this, uh, at this hearing to explain their actions?
0: Well, I think the election is going to be the, the, the mm-hmm. platform for that to take place. I mean, Pierre Polyev just hired as the director of communications for the Conservative Party of Canada, a young woman who was going around talking about how the horns were music to her ears and she wanted the horns to go on. There's video of her going around and applauding the truckers. So Polyev, far from doing what pundits predicted and moving away from this bullshit that took place in Ottawa, he's doubled down and is embracing. I think that that is going to be one of the ballot questions in the next election, if Trudeau is sticking around, is what kind of country do you want to have? Do you want to have a country that is ruled by law, that has structure, that has order? Or do you want the kind of crap that took place in Ottawa for three weeks? And I think that at the end of the day, people are not going to choose Pierre Polyev's vision
1: for the country. I love candor. I want to thank our guests today on the Unpublished TV, Laurie Turnbull, Director at the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University, Retired Senator Vern White from Finland, Warren Kinsella, Political Commentator, Marvin Ryder, Associate Professor at McMaster University's DeGroote School of Business, and Carl Narenberg, Parliament Parliament Hill Correspondent with Rabble.ca. And I want to thank you for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.